Blog Talk Radio. On today's World Footprints Radio Show, Ireland tour guide Will Collins explores Ireland's history and rich tradition of sports. We Irish, I don't know, we, we possibly invented football, um, even though that could be possibly disputed by half a dozen countries worldwide. Damon O'Brien of Fault Ireland will take us on a cultural tour through music and theater. In addition to manor houses and castles, Ireland has unique properties that have found a second life as a hotel. You find that all of these properties have this fantastic history attached to them. You know, they've been around for a long time and have had time to gather a lot of stories. Emmy-nominated Irish singer Michael Landra nearly missed his calling for music and a chance as a lead singer in Riverdance. In the 70s and 80s, there was no opportunity to study music, uh, you know, at a, a third level uh, once I finished high school. Join us as we travel through Ireland and explore Michael Landra's path to music and philanthropy on World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Later in the hour, we'll take a city break in Belfast with special correspondent David Gordon. We will also talk to Bernard McMullen of Tourism Ireland to hear what the city of Belfast is doing to keep the Titanic maritime history alive. Ireland's gastronomy goes beyond meat and potatoes, and the accommodation offerings include more than castles and manor houses. Michelle McGuire of Blue Book Properties will tell us where we can enjoy a cooking lesson in a repurposed historical property. Also coming up on World Footprints, we will hear about the cultural heartbeat of Ireland and explore the musical and theatrical legacies with Ireland Tourism's cultural director, Damien O'Brien. Then, Irish tenor Michael Landra will talk about his path to a musical career and how he is using his celebrity to raise awareness about poverty in Haiti and throughout the world. First, Ireland tour guide Will Collins takes us on a well-rounded journey through the Emerald Isle and shares some of Ireland's culinary and sporting traditions, as well as the country's interesting history and historical figures. Tom Crean was, was an Irishman. He came from, uh, from uh, uh, where was it? Anascal in County Kerry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, would, um, he went on many expeditions, but uh, yes, he went on Shackleton's expedition and he was involved in some dramatic... Um, um, escape, if you like, from from the, the perishing conditions um, by rowing in a rowboat, him and a number of other individuals, over 800 miles to safety. And uh, they said a feat that was, could never be completed again. But uh, he did make it back to Ireland and settled here once again, minus a number of toes and uh, I think a bit frostbitten. But uh, you know, Ireland is a great, uh, has, has contributed greatly, if you like, uh, to the um, the development of the the new world, the, the discovery of the source of the Nile, that was, um, of course, the Scotsman, um, but uh, had uh, some Irish explorers alongside, people like Tom, Tom Parks were involved in, in that particular expedition to the source of the Nile. So we've always been seafarers and people who wanted to travel from this country. The story of Tom Crean is told very well in the Kerry County Museum, um, which is the Thomas Ash Memorial Hall in Tralean County, Kerry. And, of course, in his own um, uh, town of Anaskal as well, there's memorabilia there. The, the South Pole Inn is a lovely little pub there. And if any of your listeners are traveling towards Dingle and they get thirsty on the way there, they could have a very good Guinness um, on their way down to, uh, to, to Dingle. 
But uh, yes, Tom Crean is, is well remembered. Uh, our Natural History Museum, too, uh, carries information on people like Tom Crean and Tom Parks um, and people like that. But it does, uh, Ireland does have a wonderful tradition in, in world discovery and exploration. Now, well, one of the things that uh, we came to appreciate is just how close the uh, United States and Ireland are in terms of their culture, their history. We had a chance to talk to you about uh, about the potato famine and and really begin to understand that in a much different context in terms of of how that became a way to bring strong Irishmen and and their families to the United States to really help build this country. The Irish connection with the United States is, is, is one that many people who come here who may, might not have an Irish connection, but when they get here, they learn uh, from the States just how much of a connection there is between the two countries. I mean, I think the statistic of about 44 million Americans have Irish roots, you know, which is a, quite a staggering chunk of the population in America. And, um, you know, when you look at the, the events that led to mass immigration from Ireland, the, the potato famine in the 1840s, um, that was a very defining moment for American history as well, because the, 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 the exodus of people out of Ireland in search of a new life, of a better life, because of the failure of the potato crop at the time, um, led to many of the Irish getting involved in the building of the great cities of America today. You know, So that's where the influence has come, and we brought with us to America music and traditions, even Cajun music is heavily peppered with, uh, with Irish traditional music. You know, So the influences are there very strong already in the States. But it's when you come here to Ireland, you just realize how many great um, uh, presidents of America, for example, mm-hmm. uh, would have had Irish roots from Ulysses Grant right through to uh, John John F. Kennedy. Reagan has a connection. Even Obama has a connection today as well with um, with Tumavara and County Offaly here in the in the heart of Ireland. You know, so the connections are extremely strong. Ireland's lush landscape is peppered with history, from castles to natural wonders. Ireland's a very easy country to um, to, to travel in because there's nothing boring about any direction you head in, whether it's the east, north south or west, which, no matter what direction you're going, there's interesting history standing nearby in ancient castles and towers and abbeys and churches and monasteries. And there's the beauty of the countryside, and that's why when the visitor comes here, and, and I've seen this in my many years of working with people coming to Ireland, is they just fall in love with the sheer beauty of the place, the greenness of the place, and how everything, including people's, um, as, as you say in the state, yards, we say gardens, but how much particular attention people pay to how their outside of their homes look and that, you know, everything is very green here, it's very lush and it's very easy to grow here, um, uh, to, to grow vegetables, to grow crops, to uh, just about everything grows in this very mild, um, although sometimes wet climate that we have. But, uh, you know, it is an easy country to fall in love with because it is a romantic country and you'll understand when you come here why the Irish are so in love with their country and when many Irish left during the potato famine and that, why they yearned for, for, to one day maybe be able to return home. Of course, many didn't, but many people who I've met down through the years, it's been a, a romantic voyage for them back into this country to, to discover their roots or to just come and see this place they've heard so many people talk about over the years. This is World Footprints Radio. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick with my wife, Tanya, and we are talking to Ireland tour guide, Will Collins, who is sharing Ireland's natural beauty as well as its cuisine. Ireland's gastronomy goes beyond just meat and potatoes. We're very fortunate here. We can buy very fresh food, um, very locally. And it's because um, Ireland is such a small country, but a very highly productive uh, country in terms of food output. And it's the quality of that food as well. So our restaurants and um, our bars, and no matter where you eat in Ireland, you'll find the food quality is very, very, very good. And it's down to the quality of the food that we produce here in in, uh, this very lush and green island. But uh, the variety of food as well, um, in the boom years as Ireland grew and, you know, we invested a lot in our tourism products and uh, places to visit and see. But um, the restaurant industry grew here significantly as well. And uh, we Irish, you know, we, we've produced um, quite a collection of very fine chefs as well as uh, a very interesting, um, people often ask me, well, what is Irish cuisine? What is Irish food? And I go, well, you know, everybody goes bacon and cabbage or corned beef and cabbage, Irish stew. And yes, these are all the kind of core dishes that we as kids would have grown up in the 
in the, in the 70s and 80s here in Ireland but kind of the staple diet if you like but uh, we've taken all our food so much further now because we have such a high quality of food and uh, so much can be done with it so many chefs are now fusing different uh, flavours from overseas uh, with, with Irish food and uh, it means when you go into a restaurant or a bar or anywhere to eat that you really do get a wonderful choice and as, as you can testify from your trip here recently uh, the quality is exceptional There are many places to stay when visiting Ireland, and surprisingly, there are accommodations for every budget. People have over the years asked me about uh, the Irish B&B, the bed and breakfast scene, you know, like what are they like, and you can stay in B&Bs and meet local families and all that, and as in the last number of years, we've invested extremely heavily in the hotel industry here in this country, and now today we have just a huge variety of hotels from your, your two-star, three-star, through to the five-stars. And as you stated in, in a few of those wonderful, um, as you say, castles and manors, it does. It, 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 Ireland can meet all pockets and all budgets, and you'll find accommodation is always readily available. And if they don't have any for you, they'll find somebody who does. And uh, it's very helpful. We have a very, very fine um, hotel industry here, with, uh, which is, um, as I say, the investment in recent years has brought standards. Um, to say the Irish hotels are possibly the best in Europe in terms of the value for money and the, the fact that many of them are new builds as well. You can go back to your old build hotels, which are the, the likes of Adair Manor, the Ashford mm-hmm. Castle where we stayed, uh, the G in Galway with its very funky and very unusual Philip Tracy designs. You have the Dillon Hotel in Dublin, which is an absolutely wonderful boutique hotel, wonderful for its um, romantic atmosphere that it possesses. And um, you could possibly meet some one or two fairly famous movie stars or, or rock stars or somebody in there. It's a very, very interesting hotel. And uh, just the hotel industry by and large here in Ireland has, has grown so much with wonderful facilities, fine, spacious rooms and, um, you know, and modern facilities. Talk to us about, about southwestern Ireland. It's, it's got some great attractions such as the Ring of Kerry and the uh, Cliffs of Moor, just to name a few. What, what makes that such a special part of Ireland, in your opinion? Well, Ian, I've worked over the years with many golfers coming into Ireland and uh, coming from the U.S. in particular, you know, on golf trips. And it's been a blend of golf and food and enjoyment and the bars at night with the music and everything like that. But what's most people that, that, I've, uh, that I've met and introduced to new courses here in this country are just blown away by the sheer beauty and how natural so many of our courses are. Um, you can look at our Lynx course collection. Now, I've heard the statistic that there's 153 Lynx courses worldwide, and 53 of those are actually in Ireland, um, which stands to reason because we have 2,500 miles of coastline and much of it peppered with these lovely sand dunes and that, which we've developed into some of the world's most interesting golf courses like Ballybunion, um, Old Head Kinsale, Dukes, uh, Dune Beg, one of the great um, um, additions to the, the recent collection of, of great Irish golf courses. But definitely when the visitor comes into the southwest, easy access through Shannon Airport, the hotels, the choices from Adair Manor to Dremolden Castle to the city centre hotels in Limerick, like the Hilton and the Marriott, yeah, and down to Kerry, which is only like an hour and a half drive from Limerick down to the southwest. Beautiful drive down into the town of Killarney where you can just base yourself there and from there. Uh, the golf courses that can be hit quite easily, like the the, the world famous, as I mentioned already, Ballybunion, but also Waterville, where I know Tiger Woods and Mark O'Mara, and indeed Payne Stewart, the late Payne Stewart, used to spend a lot of time there. In fact, there's a statue of Payne Stewart there today at the gate as you go in, uh, just to remember him. And um, it's just a collection of golf courses. Now, I'm a golfer myself, and I live here in the southwest. So I'm very, very lucky. I can go 20 minutes over the road and be in Adair. And yet around me here, too, there are several public courses. There are other private membership courses. Uh, we've got a wonderful place called Ballyneasy, um, uh, which is uh, such a, a, a challenge of a course that uh, they put the suggestion box uh, for those golfers visiting the course in the middle of a lake. In other words, they, they ain't going to reach those. <laughs> so it's, a, it's <laughs> very, very, you've got such, no matter where you are in Ireland, I, I know this country inside out, but no matter where you are, there's a golf course less than a half an hour away from you. Uh, we take it quite seriously here. Unlike so many countries out there, Ireland has, uh, has really sought to preserve its, uh, its, its special sports, the, the sports that have defined its towns and its culture. And I uh, want to talk to you about that. We've, we've certainly heard you talk about golf, but there are a lot of sporting traditions and games that are unique to Ireland, like Gaelic football. Talk to us about uh, the unique place of sport in Irish culture. 
Well, yes, Ian. I mean, uh, we Irish, I don't know, we, we possibly invented football, um, even though that could be possibly disputed by half a dozen countries worldwide. But Gaelic football is one of the oldest football games in the world. And you can see where rugby has uh, possibly been influenced by the certainly American football and Australian rules, Aussie rules as we call them, mm-hmm. been influenced by Irish communities developing in, in, in both the US and Australia and around the world, you know, bringing their Gaelic football and developing into other types of sports. But we have Gaelic football and hurling, both of which um, operate under the auspices of the Gaelic Athletic Association, the GAA, which is very much a grassroots association here in Ireland, um, established uh, more than 100 years ago in the heart of the country and um, in a place called Turles. Um, the GAA has done a wonderful job of maintaining what is an amateur sport at its core, but yet um, operating under highly professional um, um, uh, conditions, if you like, within the, the training regimes of the players, the competitiveness on the field. You must remember, you know, you look at a lot of big sporting um, um, uh, events around the world, money is a big part of it, but in the GA, mm-hmm. money is not a big part of it. The money gets pumped back into the organisation and it filters down then into the grassroots, the families and the, the communities that benefit from the GA and the work it does in those communities communities and keeping those communities very tightly knit together. So here in Ireland, one of the greatest honours any Irishman could ever wish for would be to play Gaelic football or the other sport we have, hurling, uh, to play that for their county in an All-Ireland final. It's a dream of every Irishman, only few have got to realise. But you'll see an amateur sport being played in front of 80,000 people in the packed stadium of Croke Park in Dublin on All-Ireland semi-finals or final days. And that just gives you an idea of an amateur sport that has just lived through the the, the years as in the, the core sport of this country. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think is so remarkable about uh, sport and games. It's just how huge some of these uh, traditions are. It is a passionate game. And the fact that it's so deeply ingrained in our history as well and in, in who we are, what identifies us as a people, uh, makes it even more passionate. So it's kind of a very interesting sport that has survived the test of time. And yes, it has shrugged off all the commercialism and everything that goes with sports and maintained its core value of being an amateur sport aimed at the communities of the country. There's a bit of controversy about whether the other national sport, golf, started in Ireland or Scotland. Both countries lay claim to this popular sport, but we were surprised to learn that this gentleman's game was once considered a threat to national security. When Ireland was ruled by a British king, I think it was James I who who decreed that um, golf was interfering with the practice of archery and therefore was a a threat to national defence. (laughs) (laughs) You can understand why if everybody's playing golf instead of looking after their archery skills, you don't be leaving yourself exposed. To learn more about Ireland or to plan your visit to the Emerald Isle, visit this show page on worldfootprints.com for relevant links. In this Destination Spotlight, special correspondent David Gordon shines a light on Belfast, Ireland as a daybreak city. It's growing um, as we speak over, over the years. Of course, it's obviously had its uh, fair share of bad news along the way, but things are on and again um, up, I have to say, in uh, Belfast in particular. And um, an awful lot of people, especially uh, Americans coming across, are now uh, visiting Belfast uh, as well as uh, Dublin and other, uh, the other major cities. Uh, in Ireland. Of course, it's because we now have a direct flight in from New York, which uh, certainly helps uh, significantly up here in the, the northern part of the island. Um, of course, it's, it's probably worth noting um, for, for listeners who aren't really aware of it, whenever you think of Belfast, Ireland, you're actually talking of Belfast, Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. England, Scotland and Wales. And uh, it's interesting that many people just think of Ireland as Ireland, not realise that it's two separate countries and in some respects. Um, having said that, uh, you know, it's good that we're being promoted um, as one place, as one destination. 
could stay in Belfast for a couple of days and do the tours of Belfast, but you'd also use it as a base because Northern Ireland is quite a small area uh, compared to the rest of Ireland. And you know, uh, from Belfast you can go up uh, to the north coast of the Giant's Causeway, which is one of the uh, natural wonders of the world. You can uh, come down to my neck of the woods here in County Down and uh, go down the, the Arch Peninsula, down the coastline, and, and you, you can do all that from uh, a, a sort of uh, city centre base, as it were, in Belfast. Tell us a little bit about the Arch Peninsula. I, I, I think I mean the, the, the peninsula itself. Um, if anybody's happened to be listening and is looking on uh, Google Maps to see where I'm talking about, it's, it's the, the very eastern uh, point of, of Ireland. Basically, I mean I actually live uh, as I said, in this little village called Clocky, um, which is on the Arch Peninsula, and uh, it's actually the most easterly point of Ireland, um, just just a couple of miles from from my house here. Um, so it gives you a rough idea of where we are. Um, but you can you can go down the coast, you look across the Isle of Man, look across to Scotland, and uh, beautiful areas to walk in and uh, of course obviously people have realised that over the years we have uh, historic houses here as you just mentioned such as Mount Stewart House which is owned by the National Trust which is one of the big property owners uh, looking after sort of older buildings Mount Stewart's uh, here in the Arts Peninsula it's a beautiful building uh, big old house and lots of gardens and there's uh, swan lakes and all sorts of things in there uh, which are worth going to see and there's also uh, Sort of more up to date. In fact, I was there this morning with the uh, Port of Ferry Aquarium, which is the Northern Ireland Aquarium, where you can go and see all the different uh, fish that live around this particular area. If, you, if that's the sort of thing you're into as well, so it's great if you have kids with you because uh, they can uh, while away the hours in there looking at the seal rescue centre things that they have there too. Um, so I mean, the, the peninsula here, as I live on, you know, it's, it's about 20 miles long, um, with that Port of Ferry on the southern end and the town of Bangor and kind of down at the, the northern end of it. Um, but that 20 mile stretch is full of, of uh, say, there's historic houses. There's the Ballycopland Windmill. There's uh, Donaghadee where I used to live actually, which is uh, the, the old harbour where the uh, Scots, um, as in the famous Scots Irish, would have come through on their way from uh, Scotland into Northern Ireland over into uh, America. cultural influences are very rich and vast. As Damien O'Brien, cultural director of Fault Ireland, tells us, the country's contributions to literature, gastronomy, science, sports, and the arts have had a significant global impact. The Abbey Theatre in Dublin is the the first national theatre in the world. It was established in 1904 by the Nobel laureate um, William Butler Yeats and his friend Lady Gregory. And um, ever since, they've been producing fantastic, world-renowned theatre, not only in Ireland, but also around the world. The great thing about theatre in Ireland is that um, it is very accessible. And, you know, a normal uh, price theatre ticket is about €15, perhaps €20, which compared to the West End of London, or certainly to Broadway, um, is very, very affordable. And at the same time, the quality of theatre is really, really good. So you're getting a world-class production for, you know, relatively little. Damien, one of the things that we came to appreciate during our uh, stay in Ireland is that uh, the music, it's such an important part of Irish life. And whether it's on display in in, uh, the local pubs in various towns and villages across Ireland or on uh, big megaplex stages in in some of the great cities like uh, Killarney, music is big in Ireland. Talk to us about uh, about its cultural influence and, 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 and how now that's kind of influencing folks all over the world. Music is very much, I suppose, the heartbeat of Ireland. And, um, you know, there really is something here for everyone. Um, I suppose from traditional music kind of rooted in our history and our culture, which most people can experience, you know, in pubs all across the land. And then obviously onto stadiums and, um, you know, major rock concerts and U2 and the Corps have been great exponents and great ambassadors for Irish music around the world, you know. So 
it is very much part of Irish life and very much part of Irish um, lifestyle as well. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. We are speaking to Fault Ireland's cultural director, Damon O'Brien, about the rich cultural heritage that Ireland is famous for. In the 20th century alone, Ireland produced four Nobel Prize winners for literature, including George Bernard Shaw, Samuel Beckett, William Butler Yeats, and Seamus Haney. Ireland-born author James Joyce is widely considered to be one of the most significant writers of the 20th century. Robert Boyle was a 17th century natural philosopher, chemist, physicist, and inventor. The Irish gentleman is largely regarded as one of the founders of modern chemistry and is best known for the formulation of Boyle's Law. For more information about Ireland's contributions to the world, visit this show page on our website at worldfootprints.com for relevant links. And then, of course, you know, there's the literature. And another interesting thing that I I, I, I uh, read was that Dublin is actually bidding for UNESCO uh, designation as a um, world city of literature. Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's something that we're working on um, at the moment, I suppose, given, you know, our background with, with our Nobel laureates and our various different writers. It's something that we really feel is a kind of a unique, you know, drawing point or unique selling point to getting visitors to Ireland to come and experience the city of James Joyce and Oscar Wilde and um, all of the great writers that have, have, I suppose, enriched the English language with with their work. So we're bidding at the moment to get Dublin recognised as the UNESCO City of World Literature, um, and it's something we're very excited about. And 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 then there's something about uh, the book Dracula. There's tell us about that correlation between Dublin um, Dublin's initiative and uh, Dracula. That's right. Um, it's probably a little-known fact, but um, Dracula was actually written by a Dublin-born author called Bram Stoker. And um, the City Council here in Dublin, um, along with the City Libraries, have initiated a programme every year called One City, One Book. And it's an, it's an effort, really, to get people collectively and individually to read one book at a particular uh, point in their lives. And um, every year there's been a different book. Last year it was Jonathan Swift's um, Gulliver's Travels. This year it's actually Dracula. And it's, it's more than just, I suppose, an individual thing where everybody reads a particular book. There's lots of events happening around the city. Um, one, of the, one of the best ones uh, recently was in St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin, which is this amazing Gothic medieval cathedral. Um, there was a performance of um, organ music at night and readings from Dracula in, in darkness, well, just by candlelight. And it was incredibly atmospheric, and it's, I suppose, our way of bringing a lot of literature to life, and it's been incredibly successful. We're very proud of it. Given that Irish-born Bram Stoker created the fictional Dracula, I had to inquire whether there was a Dracula-like castle that inspired his writing. We have castles the length and breadth of Ireland, um, probably not as dramatic or as gothic as what you may have imagined in Transylvania or certainly in the movies, but we, we have a lot of castles in Ireland, and with a little bit of imagination, any one of them could have been Dracula's castle. We have more information about travel to Ireland and interesting facts about the Emerald Isle on our website, worldfootprints.com.
You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Coming up, we will hear about the many unique places a visitor can stay while traveling through the Irish countryside. Then we will visit the boating yard in Belfast to hear what the city is doing to honor its history as the builder of the Titanic cruise ship. Irish tenor Michael Lager will tell us how a career in music almost eluded him and how he is using his celebrity status to raise awareness about global poverty and clean water. If you want more travel experiences beyond this radio show, we invite you to visit our website, worldfootprints.com, where you can peruse our library of radio shows, articles, and more. You can also find links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. does not lack for accommodations and visitors can choose to stay in anything from a bed and breakfast to a castle. However, Michelle McGuire from Ireland's Blue Book tells us that their association offers even more accommodation options for visitors. Ireland's Blue Book holds nearly 50 independently owned hotels in its collection, including repurposed properties like a former ice house and an old Oriental Express train car that have now found a second life as a hotel. In the collection, there are a number of castles like Castle Doctorow and Glen Castle and Gregan's Castle, but we've also some more unique properties um, like the Ice House over in County Mayo, which was an old ice house which has now been converted into a hotel. We have the Merchant Hotel in Belfast, a beautiful five-star hotel in Belfast, which actually was an old bank. So a lot of our properties have this really interesting history attached to them, and now they find themselves in this new role as a hotel. We have a number of um, cookery schools in the collection. But up in Northern Ireland, we have Belle Isle, Belle Isle Castle, which in itself is an absolutely fantastic um, property. But again, there there is a, a famous um, cookery school. And Dunbrody House then down in, in County Wexford is what's probably the most popular at the moment because we have a celebrity chef there, which is also wonderful to attract people to the house. When you think about culinary tourism, yeah, Ireland is really not the first country that, that comes to most people's minds. Ireland has its own specific cuisine that it showcases, correct, through these culinary schools? I think the thing at any of these schools or properties is the produce that's going into the houses is absolutely local, and it, it tends to be very organic. A lot of the vegetables are actually grown beside the hotels, because these hotels are on large estates, so they can take in the produce from the garden and from local producers, so everything you get is fresh and local, and because a lot of the houses are along the coast, we also get the absolute freshest seafood, like herns and yawl in County um, Cork. That seafood is caught fresh that morning. It's on your plate by lunchtime. Mm. The freshness and that kind of organic feel to the food is what's really important at the moment. This is World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. We are talking to Michelle McGuire about her Blue Book collection of unique and historical properties in Ireland. We have a link to Ireland's Blue Book properties on this show page at worldfootprints.com. Michelle, one of the things that I like about uh, what, what, what you've shared with us is that um, much of what Blue Book and much of what you've told us about uh, squares uh, smartly with uh, sustainable tourism in mm-hmm. that you're preserving uh, buildings and, and, and finding new adaptive uses for them as, as hotels. You're uh, preserving the culture, the culinary side of it. You're working with um, uh, uh, local farmers to bring organic uh, uh, food to the table. Talk to us about that philosophy. If I take an example of one of our houses, Cooper's Hill in County Sligo. It's a beautiful old house built about um, 1780. Um, Simon, who's the eighth generation of that house, in order to maintain it, 
in its in its current way. He's um, he's had to invest a lot in the property, but in a very environmentally friendly way. In fact, he's working to achieve what we call the EU flower here in Europe, which means he's open to get this award for his you know the environmental work he's doing in the house, the sustainable energy, all these different programs. And again, Simon will be taking local produce from all around him in the countryside, also on his own farm. He's taken a lot of the produce he's in from his own farm. A lot of our houses are investing in technologies which are environmentally friendly because they look at it as something that could sustain them in the future. Ireland's Blue Books Association of 42 properties in Ireland throughout the island. The best place to start is a website, of course, and that's Ireland's Blue Book. And you can look there on the website and from there perhaps pick out the region that you're interested in or have a connection with and look at the schools that are available in that particular region. Like I mentioned before, it's Wexford, it's Cork, it's, it's Fermanagh in Northern Ireland, so we do have properties throughout the island. What would you say is probably one of the most unique properties that you represent? I'm not sure. We have a few old coaching inns as well. These are the old inns that coaches would have stopped at in centuries gone by. And there are now, again, hotels, really. In fact, one of them, No Hunters in, in Wicklow, is a place where the King and Queen of Sweden actually tend to go on hideaway weekends. So that's a property that always attracts a lot of attention because of its uniqueness. We've also a number of old convents, believe it or not, which are now hotels. And again, like you mentioned before, this is the new form that they've taken for this century. I love also... Um, personally Glenlow Abbey over just outside County Galway or outside Galway City where they have the Pullman restaurant which is actually one of the carriages from the original Orient Express. You'll find with all of these properties there's this fantastic history attached to them. You know they've been around for a long time and have had time to gather a lot of stories. Michelle tells us that each property is different in style, setting, ambiance and atmosphere. She says that the uniqueness of the properties is further enhanced by innovative cuisine that utilizes the provision of local, fresh, and organic produce. For more information about Ireland's Blue Book properties, see this show page at worldfootprints.com for a direct link. Destination Spotlight, Bernard McMullen of Tourism Ireland takes us to the docks in Belfast where the Titanic was built. The Titanic is a great relationship between Ireland and the Titanic. Uh, the Titanic ship, uh, of course, the Great White Star Liner, was built in the city of Belfast in the northeast corner of Ireland. And uh, the people in Belfast are very proud of their Titanic heritage. And you might ask yourself why they would be proud of a heritage uh, of a ship that in fact sank. But the people in Belfast will tell you that it was okay when it left there. So they're very, very proud of their, of their Titanic roots. And there was a great shipbuilding tradition in Belfast at the time. Uh, and the ship was built there. And a lot of the, the young men of the city were involved in uh, building the ship at the time. And of course, some of them had the opportunity to travel on the ship. And when it was built, it made its way to Southampton on the south coast of England, where it picked up the vast majority of its passengers. And then, a lot of people won't know this, but before it set sail right across the Atlantic, 
It stopped in the town of Cove on the south coast of Ireland in County Cork. At the time it was known as Queenstown, but subsequently uh, it has changed its name to Cove. And when a lot of the people uh, got on in, in, in Cove and County Cork, there were about 135 people who, who got onto the boat at that stage. They got onto the boat with the hope of, of a new life, with the hope of making their way to the U.S., and enjoying uh, you know, all of the great things of the U- that the U.S. had to offer. And there are very many sad stories of, of people who sacrificed everything in order to get on the boat. You know, there were a lot of young men who got on the boat who were married with young families at the time. Uh, and unfortunately, they perished. The, you know, they were hoping to get to the U.S., make some money and send it back to bring their families over. But unfortunately, they perished. But there were also some happy stories of people who decided not to make the trip. And at the time, they were mocked and, and for being, you know, stupid and, give, and, and uh, giving up on a wonderful opportunity. But, you know, some of them just said that they had a bit of a hunch that things mm-hmm. weren't going well. Mm-hmm. So uh, they decided not to, not to opt to travel on the Titanic. And uh, it turned out to be a very fortuitous decision indeed. If you visit Belfast, you can now take a tour of the dry dock area uh, in Belfast where the Titanic was built. Yeah, and the, the tour might be given, I, I took a tour recently, in fact, that was given by a granddaughter of, of a gentleman who had perished on the Titanic. He, had, he was one of those guys who had traveled mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, on the Titanic in the hope that he would break, have a new life in the U.S. and send some money back, but unfortunately he perished. And a lot of the relatives of those, uh, of Titanic relatives, are involved in giving the, uh, giving the tours. Emmy-nominated Irish singer-songwriter Michael Londra took a leap of faith in his early 30s and decided to follow his heart and pursue a professional singing career. Michael's courageous move paid off when, soon after, he found leading theatrical roles in Dublin and later when American director and choreographer Larry Fuller asked Michael to play Bobby Kennedy in the world premiere of JFK. That role attracted attention by the producers of Riverdance, where he landed the leading role in the world tour. Michael's YouTube version of the popular Irish song, Danny Boy, has received more than 7 million downloads and is considered the best rendition of the song. But for that initial leap of faith, Michael's music career would have eluded him. I come from a a, a small town in Ireland called Wexford, and uh, it's a very, you know, music-laden town. We've got a very famous opera festival here. It's actually on right now uh, here in the town. And... um, I was just bathed in in singing uh, since since childhood. I come from a very large family. Everybody sings. You've no choice. But I guess when I was growing up, especially in Ireland, because uh, you know back then in the seventies and eighties, there was no opportunities to study music. Uh, you know, at a, a third level. Uh, once I finished high school, and really, you know, the the option to become a singer was just a very distant notion. So I kind of put it at the back of my hand, back back of my mind, and you know carried on being the good son and going to college and you know studying psychology and doing different things and and it ended up you know uh, working as a behavior therapist for for about ten years. <laughs> but uh, I, I gradually was kind of drawn, uh, you know, as a singer. You know, people were always asking me to sing at different places, and you know, uh, uh, there was opportunities. Something happened kind of in the in the mid-90s in Ireland where, you know, what the Celtic Tiger happened, you know, the economy kind of exploded and Celtic culture became very popular in Europe and, you know, Riverdance came on the scene. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it just kind of, it was very cathartic in Ireland and people decided that, well, you know, maybe I can have a go. And uh, that's exactly what I did. And luckily for me, it kind of paid off. So your music career is just a matter of happenstance. I mean, your first your first audition, you were selected to play Bobby Kennedy in the world premiere of JFK. You've burst out onto the scene in Riverdance, and you've also played Jesus in the Passion of the Christ Symphony. Your work has been very eclectic, and it's just hard to imagine that this is just all happenstance. When you think that I, you know, I've gotten to play Bobby Kennedy and the Savior himself, it's a, it's quite the gamut of roles. But, uh, I, you know, 
I guess maybe there's some sort of determination that I have to kind of, uh, you know, seek out challenging roles and to look for different things. But I tend to not take my career too seriously. And uh, I think because of that, uh, you know, I think work seems to come my way. And uh, I've been really blessed. And I think it's down to, um, you know, getting on with people and meeting people and kind of being open to new things and, uh I think that's the way to be successful in music. Uh, mm-hmm. Open yourself up to new things and new experiences. And uh, because of that, I've gotten to, to travel all over the place. So. 2009, you actually contributed to the release of Arias, a compilation CD that also features uh, legendary performers like Andrea Bocelli, Sarah Brightman, Luciano Pavarotti. I mean, you were included among this this wonderful group of people. What was that like for you? Very rare that somebody says those words to me. So even when I'm listening to you saying those words, it's hilarious to me. I mean, it's really <laughs> funny to me that because, particularly because I wasn't a singer until later in my life that, you know, that I'm able to pick up an album and look at my name on the same page as, you know, as Mr. Bocelli or just, it's just, surreal and again ridiculous but I think it's really down to in fairness uh, the people in Asia where I seem to kind of have connected on some level uh, and I think that they pair Celtic music with that uh, classical crossover sound and that it's very easy and soothing and um, really it's down to that uh, hopefully one day they'll you know you'll see it on a a US album um, that would really make my day I know you've traveled to a lot of places um, during the course of your singing career. Is there one or two particular places that have really just touched you? Coming from a a very kind of rural uh, background, I am very drawn to cities and great cities. And I, I, it excites me so much to get to a new town, uh, Mm -hmm. a a large city where so uh, recently, um, I got that buzz again in China, in Shanghai, because mm-hmm. I'd never been there. And there's something about Shanghai that evokes a, a, a prior time. And uh, I thought that it would be, uh, I, it, 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 I don't know, it seemed to be like in the ancient city. But when I got there, I found the complete opposite and that it's so forward thinking and so exciting just to walk through the streets and look at the new amazing architecture and the fact that the country is growing at such a, a vast rate. Um, it's very exciting to be there. So I loved Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, I actually love Seoul for the same reason and indeed uh, Tokyo mm-hmm. because um, it's such a world away from where I come from. And I think that's essentially what it is. Uh, I, I remember feeling exactly the same when I arrived in New York and Chicago for the first time. Uh, my actual home base is Chicago, and I feel mm-hmm. that when I get to the city. In that, and, and I know you love DC. You love our our hometown. I love DC. I, I wish I knew it more. I uh, because I remember when I went there. I, I actually was singing with Riverdance the first time that I went there, and and I just love looking at how beautiful the buildings are in in the city and everything that's involved. You know, knowing that. It's, it's the, the seat of power. Uh, I think that adds some sort of excitement to your hometown. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, and we're talking to Irish tenor Michael Andra about his musical career and work with the Irish-based charity Concern Worldwide. We've talked a lot about your career. You have had a spectacular career, and you're really, really blessed, and I know you recognize that. And, and you're giving back um, because you have been so blessed. You're giving back to uh, an organization called Concern Worldwide. Tell us a little bit about Concern Worldwide and how you became involved with them. I grew up with Concern World, Worldwide. It's it's very much uh, an Irish-based organization. Um, however, it reaches far across the world. Um, it, it's a humanitarian aid organization, much like uh, some of your large organizations in, uh, in the U.S., and it works in about 28 countries around the world, uh, working with the poorest of the poor, alleviating uh, terrible, terrible problems. And, you know, while I always knew that concern existed really it's only been in the past four or five years because i spent so much time focusing on my music that i you know i thought it was about time that 
I uh, dug up that social conscience that I had buried for, for a couple of years because of my career. And uh, luckily, I came across people from Concern and they said to me, well, come down and look and see what we do. Um, you know, my original qualification was as an RN, as a registered nurse. And so I had that kind of background in, in health. And uh, so I went down to Haiti and I was truly appalled and shocked that poverty at such a basic uh, level existed next door to the world's greatest superpower. It's not a great, huge operation. At every concert, I talk about it for two or three mm -hmm. minutes, ask people mm -hmm. to look up concern, and I uh, uh, hopefully spread the message that way. Now, Michael, one of the ways that you spread that message from uh, your Haiti experience is to include a DVD of the time that you spent there with uh, Beyond the Stars. Talk to us about some of the things you got involved with in Haiti, and in particular, the, the Clean Water Project. Right. Well, that is the key to uh, the problems in on this particular island in in Haiti, because access to clean water is their main issue. You have kids, the youngest of kids in a family who will be five years old. Uh, every morning they get up and they walk for eight hours during the day. So they walk four hours there and four hours back to get one canister of water so that their family can drink, bathe, cook. And this has such far-reaching implications in that it affects education because these kids can't go to school because mm -hmm. who else is going to collect that water? It affects childhood illnesses. It affects uh, nutrition. It's just a vast, vast problem. And all it really requires to, to solve this uh, situation is to build cisterns, local cisterns where rainwater can gather and be stored locally so that these people mm -hmm. don't have to walk uh, all day to get the water. One of the things that I love that you also share in your uh, DVD is that you invited a Haitian national to travel with you when you returned to the United States on tour. What was that like for him and, and what was that like for you really? Well, I did. I did. Oog, who is actually, uh, Oog is, works for Concern there. He's a local uh, guy and he's in charge of those water projects. And, you know, the one thing about about these people who are out there, they have no idea that there are people out of their country who try to highlight the problem. So I kind of wanted to connect with them and say, look, this is what I do. It's only something small, but there's somebody out there rooting for you. And so I invited them on tour and... Uh, it was funny for the whole tour. I called him rock star, and uh, <laughs> he uh, he you know he couldn't believe the response that audiences would come and meet him after my show, and you know they'd line up to chat to him, and it was so it was it's so encouraging for him to to watch these people go home excited to tell other people about concern and the problems that are happening right next door to us in the states. The more people talk about poverty issues the sooner it's going to be alleviated. And I think gradually we're seeing that, in the, particularly in the States. I, you know, the one thing about some of the smaller European countries is uh, uh, their policies uh, have been very generous in, in third world aid. And people seemed in the past to be more aware. But I've known, I, but I've, I recognize some sort of change of consciousness now in the States that people are... I, I think it's purely because of geography, but really things are changing. People are being uh, are discussing uh, issues of poverty more. To follow Michael's tour schedule or to learn more about Concern Worldwide, visit worldfootprint.com for relevant links. I lived in England, I never once made it over to Ireland, and I didn't 
visit Ireland until we went together after we started our radio show. And it was a very, very memorable trip for me. There, It was in some ways transformative. You know, we heard Will talk about how people go back trying to find their roots and you know, this romantic notion of searching for one's past. And although I'm a Fitzpatrick by marriage yeah. to you, I'm a Cunningham by birth. And uh, and so I felt like in some ways I did go home. It was nice to feel as if um, even being a person of color, having roots in Ireland, and I really felt at home there. Uh, and it was uh, special to just share that experience because there are places that we go to that uh, stay with us and we went to Ireland a few years back and to revisit uh, that experience at this point and still have those strong memories and I think of our visit to Craig Cave and uh, meeting the matriarch of that family farm who who called you little <laughs> tiger yeah you, because she thought you looked like Tiger Woods so <laughs> yeah and uh, just just sharing uh, uh, Guinness uh, in a special way and even the Irish coffees and the singing and just the fun that we had uh, will stands out most. And it, I think, is a reflection of the people and the Irish spirit. And I think that comes through uh, with uh, Will and uh, Bernard and Michelle and... Everybody Everyone. That, we, that we met on that, that trip. What was your favorite memory? My favorite memory was probably uh, the stopover in Galway at uh, the G Hotel. And we just had a moment to kind of chill out in this uh, spa, a very unique spa, uh, just, just a one-of-a-kind experience uh, that uh, stays with me. And I will also never forget being at Ashford Castle yes. and doing uh, the, the falconry. The falconry mm-hmm. that was memorable and a lot of fun, I and that, that was, was uh, one of those things I won't ever forget. Yeah, I think that was one of my favorite moments, and I was proud of you because I know how you are with birds, having <laughs> remembered how you released the dove at our wedding and kind of shirked from that. I was very proud that uh, the falcon didn't didn't scare you and you really stepped up. But, you know, I'm an animal, animal lover, and so that was really fun for me just to, to experience that. And also the time that we spent in Ashford Castle, you know, I kept pinching myself and saying, oh my gosh, we're in a real castle. And of course, I had to have one too many um, hot whiskeys, and I got up in front of a crowded room and sang Summertime, um, but I got an, an ovation, which is, yeah. I think, or was I, did I have that one too many hot whiskeys at that time? Oh, I, I wouldn't say that. I just <laughs> think it was that uh, you gave an impressive performance. Oh, well. uh. <laughs> First time. So there were a lot of firsts in, in Ireland and, you know, of course, the countryside and what I regret um, not doing in that trip is capturing the stories that we like to share. You know, the the history. I really wanted to, to find out more about uh, the cultural traditions in Ireland. And particularly, I know that there's a pocket of Africans uh, who traveled uh, to Ireland or were brought to Ireland. And, you know, we never investigated that. We never really investigated the story behind some of the natural wonders and uh, that we visited. And, and so those are things that I regret, and I really hope that we do get a chance to go back and rediscover those and, and share those with our audience. Our inspirational travel quote this week comes from St. Augustine. The world is a book, and those who do not travel read only one page. As always, it has been a pleasure to spend this time with you, and we thank you for inviting us into your homes. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we look forward to sharing another amazing journey with you on World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints Media, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award-winning radio show can be heard around the globe on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, and more. Visit worldfootprints.com for a complete list.
World Footprints Radio is a leading voice in socially responsible travel. At worldfootprints.com, you'll find an archive of past broadcasts, travel news, reviews, and information you can use to deepen your travel experience. Listen, learn, and live it at worldfootprints.com.